Okay, so imagine these softest sheets you've ever felt, and now imagine them getting even softer with every wash. Told you guys about this company before, but I'm gonna tell you again, and I'm honestly not gonna stop telling you because they are the best sheets on the market. In a recent customer survey, 96% said that Bowen brand sheets get softer with every wash, which I didn't take that survey, but if I did, I would have been in the 96% because I am telling you, it's like you've tried them at first and you can't believe that they could get softer and then they just continually do. A lot of things I like about this company. First of all, they're made with the rarest 100% organic cotton and are completely free from toxins. Second of all, they're buttery soft, but also breathable. So they kind of work in any season. They have over 11,000 reviews, 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Their signature sheets come in 13 versatile colors in all sizes. So from twin up to California King, I have them in the color stone. I have the color mineral. I have a waffle blanket. Like I got a lot of things from this company and everything is just quality. I so badly need you to try them so that you can understand what I mean. I'm telling you, I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and everyone I know is hooked. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bowl and Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code CBC at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code is CBC. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Anne. This is one of the very few times where we are recording the intro post-recording. I don't think there's any way we could have recorded an intro without processing our thoughts first. (laughs) I'm so glad that we're doing this because... I kind of just wanted us to walk you guys through what just happened because normally we really try to keep the Kardashian bonus shows an hour or under, but we knew from the second we watched this that we were just physically incapable of that. And so this episode was a ride. We had two amazing subplots in addition to some Courtney and Scott dialogues that I don't think in our wildest dreams we would have thought we would have ever gotten. So I guess we just want to warn you that I don't even know what just transpired, but I feel like we went very deep. We went very deep, but I have a feeling if you watch this episode, it's going to be very cathartic for you to listen to this afterwards. Yeah. And I also want to make a point to say that I know sometimes people tell us that they listen to the episode before they actually watch it. Don't do that. If you have the ability to watch the episode, watch it first because you're going to think that we're over-dramatizing some of the Courtney and Scott scenes, but we're not. I'm telling you guys. It was vulnerability like we've never seen from Scott. Seriously, I feel like so many questions were answered, don't you? So many questions were answered and so many things left unanswered too. Yeah. It took us a little while to get there because we had to get through some of the quote fluff. I mean, I didn't really find it to be fluff, but I feel like there were three or four scenes that we had highlighted yellow in the outline. And that is when, I don't even know, I think I blocked out. I think I did too. Any other episodes, those quote fluff scenes wouldn't have been fluff scenes. Like I would have been more than happy any day to dissect every ounce of those scenes. But compared to the Courtney and Scott element, it was it was nothing. <laughs> yeah, wow. So anyway, we just want to leave you guys with that. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as we did and that you have as many questions as we do. Because I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm not remembering it correctly, but I feel like so much of our discussion wasn't necessarily coming to conclusions. It was just raising more questions in a way. Yeah, but I just needed to talk it through, and I think you did too. I did, and thank you for all of you that want to listen because I personally really needed this. (laughs) I did too. Okay, let us leave you with the episode. 
So we start out at the Malibu house. It's Kim, Courtney, Scott, Jonathan, Simon, and Phil. And this is when we're kind of introduced to the lifeguard plotline. And I thought it was really funny when they're casually saying like, yeah, we should see if Addison has any of her friends. And Scott's like, yeah. So the question is, do we want our lifeguard to be able to TikTok? The reason I mentioned that is just because it's crazy how Addison has so quickly become part of the dialogue as well as part of kind of the group. Right. It is so funny watching that happen. Also, I'll say it now so I can get it out of the way and I don't have to fixate on it throughout the entire episode. But the idea of introducing a lifeguard plotline at the very end of the summer to watch an empty pool is probably one of the funnier things that Keeping Up with the Kardashians has done. <laughs> well, they know 20 seasons and they have us by the balls. Like, this shows, by the way, just how little they know everybody cares about the logistics because, like you said, there was not a kid in sight. They didn't even hire a neighbor kid to pretend to be in that pool. Right. And we didn't even flinch. <laughs> no, not once. <laughs> We've been trained for this shit since the early season one, season two days where they hire the fake babysitter. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is not our first rodeo. Okay. So, next scene, Trevor, the lifeguard, comes over and. They're kind of just talking about it again. This entire thing was ridiculous. But I wanted to mention this scene because when he walks over to meet the group, Kim says to him, you look literally identical to someone I know. And Trevor's asking who, and Kim goes, well, it was her ex-boyfriend, so she would know better than me. And Chloe agrees. Was she talking about Eunice here? I was confused by that too, because he looks nothing like Eunice. Right. And I would have said, okay, well, maybe there was just someone else we didn't know about. But the way Kim made it sound was she didn't say like one of her ex-boyfriends. She made it sound like it was the most recent one. I find it somewhat improbable that they're going to spend all of their time with Phi and then be sitting there one day and be like, oh my God, you know who looks exactly like Eunice? Trevor the lifeguard. <laughs> I know. Phi is probably like, I'm right here. <laughs> There's no way you can look at Phi every day and think that Trevor is the one that looks like Eunice. It has to be somebody else. I think Phi is better looking than Eunice though, don't you? Yes, me too. But they're very, very similar looking. So next scene, we're at Kim's house. It's Chris, Kim, Chloe, and Courtney. And I know we say this a lot, but I guess we've been so much at the Malibu house this season that we haven't really been at Kim's house. Every single time they do an aerial shot of that property, I feel that I'm just blown away at the grounds at that house. Don't you feel like every time they're at one of their actual houses instead of the Malibu house during the season, you're like, oh, hey, you guys are here too? (laughs) Yeah, don't you feel kind of bad for those houses? Yeah, like what? Kim's house is just sitting there with no filming? That's ridiculous. As much as that Malibu view is gorgeous, the amount of space that Kim has in her backyard is really hard to come by. They built a mini Hidden Hills in it. I just think what's so crazy about Kim's house is that as a viewer, so much of the stuff, like we always say, by virtue of just watching you become jaded, and Kim's is one of those where I don't. I'm still amazed every single time. Me too. It's an unbelievable piece of property. It really is. So this is the scene where we're introduced to the Shorty plotline. As you all know, Shorty is the homeless man from season one that was outside Dash. And listen, I would have remembered Shorty no matter what, but having just done a season one rewatch, I felt like he was top of mind. Yeah. Also, we know that that's true. Like, we know that so many people ask all of the time whether or not they know where Shorty is, whether or not they've seen him, if they've spoken to him since. So, 
we've seen that discourse take place on Twitter a lot. And I've seen a lot of TikToks about it too. So when they're talking about it, how people are always asking them, like that is a hundred percent the case. Right. We're half of the shit when they say that it's kind of like the influencers. A lot of you guys have been asking me my skincare, like people actually ask about shorty. Right. Like there is an exception to every rule and shorty is the exception. I love that, Julie. That was poetic. Thank you. Okay. Next scene. We're back at the Malibu house and we open to a shot of Addison just sitting outside. She's not even there with Courtney. Like at this point, it's just Addison, Kim, and Chloe. And again, I would just like to mention the progression of Addison Ray as a standing character on Keeping Up with the Kardashians happened so fast that nobody even had time to process it, especially because two episodes ago, she's being interrogated as to her very relationship with Courtney. Right, which is funny when you look at the progression of the show because in our minds, we're like, oh my God, two episodes and now she's just sitting in the house alone. Like the last episode when she walked through the kitchen as if she had been their childhood friend there their whole lives. But the reality of the timeline here is it's probably been about two months already. Right, that's so true. I always forget that even when watching this. And they also do weird shit with the timelines. Like you'll see sometimes they'll be in the same outfit they were in episodes ago. That happens a lot with Kim and Kylie, I guess, because Kylie's filming is so much more minimal. Right. So they're sitting down with Addison and they're talking about skims. And this is when Kim is introduced to the idea of maybe she should do a campaign on TikTok and Addison should help teach her, which we'll see this play out. It's not that it's at all the main thing here, but the the idea of Kim and dancing have been so separated in my mind for so long because she has made it so abundantly clear that it's just something she will not do. She's at the stage of her career where she can turn down anything and anything even remotely related to dance, I already take off the table for Kim. So when she's voluntarily putting herself into this thing, I was just kind of taken aback. And you knew that there's no way it was going to end up going through with. <laughs> None, but the fact that she was even open to it was surprising. And the fact that she let it be on camera for her even attempting to dance. It was so funny when they were talking about the different dance moves and they're going over the dolphin and Addison's like, oh yeah, you know, it's Mason's favorite. <laughs> that was so funny. Like way to name drop Addison. I mean, I guess one thing you have to say about Addison is she knows her roots. The reason she was introduced to this family in the first place was because Courtney wanted to surprise Mason. So you know what? You got to give her credit for that. Right, exactly. She is here because of Mason, so damn well she's going to name drop him whenever she has the opportunity. <laughs> she has to spend her entire career paying homage to Mason Disick. Wait, that's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next scene, Courtney and Chloe are in the car. They're on their way to try to find Shorty. And the only reason I really want to mention this scene is because something we've spoken about a lot recently, and specifically this season, is there's been so much... Chloe and Kim, and even in car rides, just one on one, that I missed a Courtney and Chloe car ride. I think the other thing is that even in scenes where it's not just Kim and Chloe alone, like maybe it's an entire family scene, maybe it's all three of them in a scene, the confessional is Kim and Chloe. So it's furthering that association in your mind. So even to see just the two of them alone for a short scene is like such a breath of fresh air. Yeah, because I think that there's something to be said for what a joint confessional does for the viewer in terms of the perception. Like for me, I just automatically assume that Chloe and Kim are telling the exact same narrative. They're on the same side of whatever issue they're talking about. And so it definitely kind of like bonds them for me in a way. Yeah, I think so too. I also think that 
just logistically with Courtney, Courtney probably like, these are the times where I'm willing to come in and do a confessional and I'm not changing them. And it was like, Kim and Chloe aren't going to work around your schedule. They were going to come in whenever they wanted to come in and they were more flexible with it. So Courtney did her own thing and then they ended up being in all the confessionals together. I love when you hypothesize as to the behind the scenes logistics. Well, we've gotten a little of insight to that over the years. This next scene is minor. We just wanted to mention it for two reasons, because this is when Addison is teaching Kim some different TikTok dances and two things that are worth mentioning here. The first is just anytime Kim is voluntarily dancing, I think we're all very confused since that's something she's really stayed away from. And then secondly, when they're doing the WAP dance, which by the way, we put the link in the description to the original creator that made the dance, but Kim makes a comment towards Addison basically saying like, no, you do the dance. I can't do it because I'm married, which I just feel is worth mentioning because it's such a Kanye thing to care about something like that. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe we're looking too much into it, but you and I both picked up on that separately. So maybe we weren't the only ones. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't love that she said that because I feel like being married just shouldn't have anything to do with it, but that's a whole separate conversation. But there was a piece of me that felt like when Kim was saying that, when you consider the current state of her marriage at this point and during this episode, it almost felt like she was hinting at trying to salvage something. Like she was saying without really saying it, like I can't because I'm married and also I can't do anything that's going to put me on thin ice right now. Right. It was maybe that's just us. It just felt a little bit more layered because you know that Kanye has that thing with her when it comes to certain ways that she expresses her sexuality, which like, as you know, I'm not at all down for that, but it does exist. And so maybe it was not that, maybe it wasn't. And we're totally just looking into it. Just felt worth mentioning, I feel, no? Yeah, it felt like she was avoiding rocking the boat. And when you take the current state of Kim as we're seeing it, the pictures that she's been posting, the Miami, like you can definitely see there's a difference in the way she's dressing and acting. So I don't think it's the farthest off thing. And I would just like to make it crystal clear, I am so here for that. So here. So next scene is when we're reunited with Trevor. He is lifeguarding this empty pool, not a kid in sight, not a swimmer in sight. And Scott and Chris are kind of off to the side talking, which there are a few things I appreciate more than Scott and Chris like yenting it up in the corner. Yenting it is exactly what they were doing. Yes. Right? Like they were about to go play Mahjong. You are so right. And I love it so much. (laughs) But it's funny because Courtney is kind of flirting with Trevor a little. Again, dramatized for the show. But in general, I do think that this is kind of Courtney's personality. And you see Scott making comments under his breath. Again, do I think he was jealous of this actual moment? No. But I was still grateful for it because it introduced us to what was very real jealousy and what was very real emotions that he was feeling a little bit later on. This was the first real expression of jealousy that I think we've seen from Scott. Obviously, when he was with Sophia, maybe he felt that way, but there was absolutely no way he could have expressed that on camera or in like to any sort of audience because you just can't do that when you have a serious girlfriend. But I do feel like even prior, in the earlier stages of the Courtney and Scott breakup, I'm sure there were jealousy moments. I'm sure there were upsetting things for Scott about Courtney and maybe Courtney and other men or thinking about it. I don't think we've ever seen such an outward expression of jealousy from him. We never have. And I think that so much of it has to do with them both being single at the same time, because you're right. Of course, when he's dating somebody, he can't do that. That's just like an absolute no. But when Courtney's dating somebody, you can't really do that either. So 
I think now is the first time that he felt like it was okay to voice that to the public. The reason that this episode is so interesting to me is because we have spent literally so much time discussing the Courtney and Scott dynamic and discussing, okay, Scott wants Courtney back. Courtney is maybe a little bit mixed. Like we have put so much energy into that conversation and so much of it came from just our own idea of what we thought was happening and like maybe little body language things that we were picking up on and little comments that we were picking up on. Like, I don't think we've ever been able to have that conversation with this amount of confession from Scott being like, this is exactly what I want. I want Courtney back. Like so much of that was just us hypothesizing for a while. And we were so a hundred percent correct and on the right page that it actually like blows my mind a little bit. Right? Like, I just want to say every single person who messaged us after Travis's birthday post and said, oh my God, I wonder how Scott feels. I hope Scott's okay. I just hope that you feel really fucking validated because that wasn't something that we all made up in our minds. Clearly, based on what we saw here, if he's having an issue with her talking to a lifeguard, I mean, I can't even imagine what that must have been for him. So of course, I never want to see anybody upset at the same time you're right. It does feel good for once to feel like you're not being crazy. You're not making things up in your head. And everything that we thought to be true is exactly true. And if anything, it's maybe even more intense than we had thought. Right. It was almost like if this wasn't his real genuine emotion, it almost seems like a plot point that they they put in the show just to validate watchers. So in his confessional, and again, we will talk about this a lot later. I just want to read the one line from his confessional in this scene. He says, I don't think that little thing inside of me will ever go away with court. And it's a very, very tough pill to swallow. So everybody just keep that in the back of your mind as we progress through this episode, because we're now about halfway through with the scenes. And in about a scene or two, this is when things really start to heat up. Right. Oh oh my God. I'm like anxious. (laughs) I am too. I feel like I'm trying to stall. I know. Okay. Next scene, we're back at Kim's house. And this is when her and Chloe are talking about Shorty. They end up FaceTiming him. Before we get into the FaceTime, I just have to mention Kim's all brown outfit. Gorgeous. Obsessed. Yes. So I guess somebody had located Shorty and they're now on FaceTime with him. He's with production. He's getting multiple COVID tests and they're about to reunite, but it was just a sweet interaction. And I think honestly, Chloe was more excited to see him than I think he even was to see her. I think so too. It was really sweet though. It seemed like no one had changed. Once they were FaceTiming and they were together, it was like, 15 years had not passed. I just have to mention this because I was wondering if you were thinking this as well. And it's nothing to harp on because, I mean, we spoke about this when this episode came out the first time. But if you go back and actually watch that episode, the reason that it was so impactful at the end was because her attitude at the beginning of the episode was not nearly what it was at the end. In the beginning of the episode, she viewed him being there as kind of a burden. If you remember, she came over to him not really filled with compassion. She wanted him to leave the front of the Dash storefront. And so, of course, towards the end, we see that that totally changed and they really took him in. But if we want to remember this, we have to remember this accurately. Oh, yeah, of course. But I think that's why Chloe like emphasized the impactfulness of it. Yeah, of course. She says he had an imprint on her heart. And I love that expression just in general. Yeah, me too. Okay, guys, this is the first scene so far that I have highlighted yellow, which means it's go time. So this is when Scott gets off the lift. He's at the top of the house with Kim and Chloe. And Kim says to him, so I saw Cor talking to the lifeguard. Is it difficult dealing with? And again, just for purposes of trying to wrap your head around this, 
pretend that she didn't ask it in context of the lifeguard, because I know we all know that that's kind of a filler for, is it hard to see Courtney interact with other people? Do you think that's a fair caveat? Absolutely. Scott says, and I quote, it's like, I have different expectations for our life, the way we treat each other, but it's kind of one-sided. She's always said, I want a man that takes charge, that has money, that's successful, can take care of me and not make me lift a finger. I play the role of a husband. I treat her like my wife. She talks to me like I'm her husband. I do my best to take care of her. You know what I mean? But then I realize in return, I don't really get much of anything and it sucks sometimes. Okay. Chloe says, do you think she's stringing you along? And Scott kind of pauses. In his confessional, he says, quote, I think the thing that keeps Courtney and I connected is that deep down we do love each other. To see her kind of be flirty or try to be cute for another guy that's not me will always strike some kind of jealousy bone in my body. In a perfect world, Courtney and I end up just being together and raising our family. But as you know, complications happen. Do you want to talk about that or should I go to Kim's line? No, let's talk about that. You want to go first? I'm so overwhelmed. A couple of episodes ago, we get to the point with Scott and Courtney where they're having the conversation about Scott no longer being with Sophia and how the eventual goal in their lives would be that each of their partners would be able to understand and respect the relationship that Scott and Courtney have with each other and that they will know that they found the right partners for each other when those people are able to understand that that relationship is a strain. Yes. So to then go from we are talking actively about other people and other partners and us all getting along and being able to be together to Scott now a couple of episodes later saying that he can't even really stomach the idea of Courtney being with anybody else and that he is putting in so much work to getting back together and he really feels like that is something that he wants and maybe even Courtney wants but just won't fully go there. That is a big shift. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I was actually going to ask you a very similar thing. My question to you was going to be, does that make you think that when they were having those conversations, that was completely him just trying to appease her and in the back of his mind, that wasn't even something that he desired at all? Like the idea of a partner that understood their situation is something that Courtney was much more looking for and he was kind of just reciprocating that as almost a courtesy. Meanwhile, in the back of his mind, it was a one-track focus on them together because to me, that's how I felt watching this scene. It's possible. The way that I saw it more was Scott had just gotten out of a relationship and I think out of respect to Sophia, who I think he did love and did genuinely have feelings for and care for, I think out of respect for her and their relationship, he couldn't have just said now that that's done I'm ready to get back together like now that that's over and I'm not in a relationship anymore let's do this thing like I I don't think that he would have been willing to put that out there yet for his own sake not just for Courtney's and not just for Sophia's I think for himself I think now that he's had time to sit on it he realized that him saying that was more about Courtney and about the breakup he went through rather than what he actually wants Right. I think that that's accurate. I just think that hearing him even broach the subject here, and this isn't even the real depth of it. I mean, we really get into it when they have their one-on-one. It just is such a clear picture into his mind. And I really will stand firm in saying we have never gotten it this vividly ever. No, never. And the thing that he says also about him feeling like he is her husband, he takes care of her. He describes what type of man that 
Courtney has always said she wanted and the way that he fits that mold. But then on the other hand, how he feels that she's not reciprocating that to her, to him and that he's putting in all this effort to be this husband figure in her life. And she acts like his wife, but doesn't do all of those things for him that he does for her is also interesting because there is this complete imbalance in their relationship where maybe it wouldn't work for them to get back together because it is always Scott proving himself and Scott working on himself and Scott trying to show what he's capable of. And it completely ignores the fact that there are probably things that Scott needs from Courtney to change. There are things that I'm sure that Courtney needs to do communication style with Scott that needs to change in order for them to get back together. I'm sure there are things that just Courtney needs to change about herself in general to fit what Scott has and the idea with their relationship that Scott has to change everything about himself to be what Courtney wants, but Courtney doesn't have to do anything because she's in the higher position creates this imbalance in their relationship that maybe it was never going to work. Well, right. And I want to kind of pause that part of the conversation until we get to specifically the scene when they're all at dinner with the family, because that was really telling that one moment of when she mentions that, which I want to get into. But I feel the same way aside from almost this power dynamic it creates and maybe how that wouldn't work out. But also, I think that it's almost this vicious cycle because as much as Courtney is saying, you know, Scott needs to prove himself and all of these things and these parameters that she sets, on a certain level, it almost kind of like cannibalizes itself because I think that that inherently makes him unattractive to her. She doesn't want a guy that she has to walk through the steps. So, He's doing it because that's what he needs to, quote, do to get her. Meanwhile, I think the fact that she feels she even needs to lay it out is inherently unattractive to her. Right. Meanwhile, the things that, and again, she never goes into specifics. It's not like she's saying in this episode, these are the specific things I need Scott to do that he has not yet done. She just mentions that there are things. But I do imagine that there are probably things that he wouldn't, just think off the top of his head to do like there are probably very specific things that she needs that he wouldn't know unless she was explaining it so yeah it it does create somewhat of an issue there when you're expecting something of somebody and then faulting them for trying but then faulting them because you have to tell them what it is but then faulting them because they wouldn't have known in the first place right it's 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 a vicious cycle and really let's hold off on the conversation about how she doesn't get into specifics because it's very clear in the later off scene, but everybody keep that in the back of your mind as we continue, because that is a point that needs to be discussed, I think. I think so too. Okay. So this is when Kim and Chloe are responding and Kim says, by the way, I just got so serious. Like I really feel like we are now in class. Class is in session. No, class is very much in session. Yes. Okay. So Kim says to him, if you started low key, not being available, not answering, she'd flip her shit and be like, what do you think he's doing? Chloe says, if you actually hold strong, should be like, damn, what did I lose? And Kim and Chloe in their joint confessional, Chloe goes, I feel really sad that Scott has these feelings just because I feel helpless. And you see Kim in this moment, it was so small, but clearly when Chloe said that it really resonated with her because she almost cut her off to agree. She was like, yes, that's the feeling. I feel helpless. It's all these years later, he feels so strongly about Courtney and I just wish we could. Chloe says, do something about it. And Kim goes, but honestly, our parent trap was a bust, so I think we're still trying to feel them out. And Chloe says, they're both really elusive. So Scott has to grow some balls and stop just talking to us about these things and just talk to Court about it. Let's see how she feels. You never know unless you bring it up. And Scott says to them, 
we keep having these conversations like, oh yeah, sure, we'll end up together one day, but not now. And I'm like, okay, so what are we doing? I guess I just want to react to Kim and Chloe's point about if he would be a little bit less available. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I have to wonder how that then plays out in his future relationships if they're not together. I know they've spoken about that before, but for Kim and Chloe to kind of validate that makes me feel validation on Scott's behalf. Because Courtney, I think in a lot of ways, I don't want to say doesn't know what she has or like is ungrateful. That is not what I'm trying to communicate, but not from a romantic level, just from the comfort level of knowing that Scott puts her first. If that wasn't the case, how would that bode as much as she says she doesn't want it? Well, I think that's the whole issue with what's going on here is that I think that Courtney keeps, I don't want to say keeps Scott around because he is the father of her children. He is part of this family. He's never not going to be around. Even now, I he is very much around. But on a personal level for what Courtney gets out of it in terms of like a husband role, I think she does dangle that possibility in front of him to keep him there. And like when he is saying that she says to him, oh yeah, we'll end up one t- together one day. And he's like, okay, so what are we doing? Like the fact that that conversation even took place where Courtney is maybe even reciprocating that on some level, even if it's just to keep Scott around or keep Scott in the position she wants him in until she finds somebody else. We have never known that that was something that she even slightly reciprocated to him. Right. That is why there's so much insight here because that was not something we were going to get from Courtney. Scott saying like that they have had conversations about this was to me completely brand new information. That could have been the biggest discovery of this episode because Scott's jealousy was something that we felt validated by. This was something that I think a lot of us kind of perked our ears up and to say, oh, so this was happening. This wasn't just us fantasizing. And I think that is actually the piece of it that made this whole thing more difficult because I think that if Scott was just talking about being jealous and Scott was just talking about wanting to get back with Courtney and that was kind of it of the conversation – You still feel badly for Scott. You still feel upset for him. You still are imagining what he's going through right now. But you can kind of take the position of like, okay, but eventually he was going to have to move on. He knew that. The fact that we're now finding out that Courtney is reciprocating this on some level, even if it's just to keep him around, even if it's just to keep him on some sort of a leash so she has him when she needs him, the fact that she was reciprocating that made it like, okay, we can imagine how heartbroken Scott must be because even he was getting glimpses of the possibility of this happening from Courtney and now it's just completely in the opposite direction. Right, and that's why I need to understand if there was a dialogue that took place before she were to enter a serious relationship, right? Like there has to be some sort of, I don't know, transition phase. It just feels like... It just feels like there's a piece missing here. It just feels so strange to me that they would be on this path of like even discussing with each other the possibility of getting back together. And then Courtney would be like, okay, bye. I have a serious relationship now. Right, right. Okay. You want to just move on to the next scene so that we can come back to the really intense ones? Yeah. This is so much to process. I know. Okay. We're at Chloe's house now. I don't mean to make Shorty like a subplot. Shorty is a very important character. It's just anything would bode in comparison to this Courtney and Scott situation we have going on here. Right. A hundred percent. 
But anyway, Shorty walks into Chloe's house and it's really sweet. They're all sitting there having a meal. I thought it was so funny when Tristan walked in and they're kind of joking around with each other and Shorty's like, you're not supposed to be here, but <sighs> sue me. I fucking like Tristan. What do you want? Like, I like the his banter. I love how down he is to kind of play that role. And I wanted to kiss the ground that Kim walked on when he's coming in and she goes, yeah, that's Chloe's boyfriend. And you see, Chloe knew she didn't have the time or like breath to really explain the whole situation. So she makes a comment to Shorty, like, I won't even get into the logistics there. And it's not that I liked watching Chloe thrive in discomfort at all. I don't mean to sound like mean, but you saw that moment of hesitation between her and Kim and just watching that whole thing go down, especially in front of a player where they weren't going to get into the full thing there was just, I don't know, exciting to witness. I liked that too. Also, there was definitely a slight little pause between when Kim said, this is Chloe's boyfriend. I was like, this is Chloe's boyfriend, which was really funny to me and like very telling. But I do think at this point, that's what you can call him. Wasn't it also sweet how they gave him the the tapes of the episode he was on? Because I always wondered that, like, does he have that on film? Yeah, that was really sweet. And we find out now that he's trying to get into this rent control department and they're helping him out, which we see later on. But just the entire experience and them coming together, I just loved it. I, I, I can't help it. It was really so beautiful to see them reunite. Like it was one of those things where it felt like, especially for the viewer, it's like, okay, you've been here since season one. Like you are an OG fan. We are going to reward you for that by bringing back a character that you have wondered about and you have spoken about all of these years later. And it's like, thank you so much for doing that for us. I know. Like that's something that we genuinely appreciate. Yes. And by the way, that we genuinely deserve. And both of the filler scenes in this episode, which was filler, quote unquote, which was Shorty and Addison felt like very non-fillery to me. Like that's the type of quote filler that I want. Well, because if this whole Courtney and Scott thing wasn't happening, that could have been its own episode. And I don't think anybody would have necessarily been complaining. No, I definitely wouldn't have been. Okay, next scene. This is another one that I have highlighted. So this must mean that it's an intense one. Okay. Oh my God. This <laughs> this must mean it's literally like the oh. fucking. <laughs> oh, this, oh, fuck. Okay. Everyone take a deep breath. We're going to get through this together. So this is when Chris, Corey, Kim, Chloe, Tristan, Courtney, and Scott are all at dinner outside. And Kim, thank God, says, so Courtney and Scott, when are you guys going to get back together? And keep in mind, this is something that Chloe and her had discussed that they were kind of plotting. And Scott goes, wherever Court stands, I stand with her. Chloe says, obviously. Courtney goes, that's nice. And Scott says, forever. And Kim goes, can we just have a Courtney Scott wedding? That would be epic. And then Chris chimes in, Scott, if you could just bring it within yourself to go over there, get on one knee, propose, we'll have the wedding. It'll be amazing. Amazing imagery, by the way, Chris. No? Amazing. Scott in his confessional says, the whole family is making all these little jokes, but the truth is, this is the first time in a really long time we've both been single, and I started thinking about my relationship with Courtney and taking it to the next level. So I think it's time I need to be vulnerable and I need to tell my case. Tell that case, Scott. Oh my gosh, I keep going? Yeah. Scott says, and I quote, well, I love you and I'm ready to marry you right here, right now. Corey off to the side like, wait, wait, he's saying some real words. And Scott says, Courtney knows that eventually we'll get married and live a good life. Courtney goes, or when you want to work on yourself. And you see, she kind of hesitates to say that. 
And Scott says, what else do I have to do? Chloe's like, oh, you're giving him an ultimatum right now? And Scott says, I would love to know what I can do. Chloe goes, what the hell is it? Courtney goes, I don't know. This is a separate conversation. And in her confessional, Courtney says, I'm feeling really ambushed right now. I don't know. I'm usually more prepared to talk to the family, and so I don't even know how to react. Scott and I have had these talks before, so I just think that him and I have our own private understanding of what would need to happen for that to even be a consideration, and I just don't really think it's fair to talk about it in front of the family as if it's everyone's business. The one thing that I really want to say is that Courtney is talking about these things that Scott needs to do as if Scott knows exactly what it is, as if she has laid it out on the table and there are very specific things that he can follow and do and then that will be it and it will be great. Scott is sitting here like, what else do I need to do? So I'm just confused how there's this much of a disconnect between what Courtney is expecting Scott to do and what Scott thinks he has to do. Because to me, it just seems unfair. Like if there's parameters that you're setting for Scott, right? And you're saying, if you do all of these things, like those are the things that I need to be able to do to consider it. But Scott doesn't know those things. Like, how is that fair? Right. And the reason that I'm feeling a little bit confused here is because it seems as though Scott at this point is laying it all out on the line. So he's pretty much willing to go there with any conversation on camera. But in her confessional, either one of two things are going on, in my opinion. The first option, which kind of directly interferes with what I just said about him being vulnerable is Courtney being like, you know what? Scott knows what needs to happen, but I'm not going to discuss it with the family and I'm not going to discuss it on camera because not like I don't want to embarrass him, but kind of, I don't want to embarrass him. That's personal and that's private. That's the first option. The second option is she's kind of using that as a cover because I don't necessarily see a third option unless it is she's saying that and they've never really had the conversation, but there are things in her mind. I'm not sure. I don't know. I really, your guess is as good as mine. Anybody who's listening, your guess is as good as mine because I guess I just feel at this point, Scott would be like, I did whatever the thing was, unless it was something like, I don't know, dark. <laughs> I don't know either because I'm not about to sit here and like discuss all the things that Scott has done wrong and then correct it and all of the therapy that he's been through and the work he's done. Like, I don't think it's for us to necessarily dissect because I'm sure there are a lot deeper things that took place in their relationship or has taken place in their co-parenting that Courtney sees and doesn't like or is a side of Scott that she doesn't like. I'm sure there are those things. Everybody has those things. But I think the issue of what's going on here is that it almost feels like Courtney has no intention of getting back together with Scott and she's keeping this idea alive and she's as we know, Courtney is not the greatest communicator, even if she thinks she is. There are just, we've seen it happen time and time again where she has something so set in her mind and she knows exactly what she wants and her inability to communicate that is what creates the problems. For example, when she wanted to take time off from the show, she didn't want to be involved in the filming. She wanted to do her own schedule. Like, she knew exactly what she wanted, but when she would communicate those things to Kim and Chloe. They always just got so lost in translation that you didn't understand what Courtney actually wanted. So my question is more about like, is that what is happening here? Like, does Courtney have specific things that she wants and she's just unable to communicate them? Or does Courtney know that there's just no possibility of her and Scott getting back together? So she's creating these parameters he can never meet. And therefore, she never has to commit to that actual big thing. 
Right. It's kind of like the relationship version of stalling, if you want to call it that. But the reason that I am choosing to not believe that to be the case, like the reason that I, while watching that this episode, was still choosing to believe that on some level, Courtney does think there is some possibility is because if she doesn't, that is just sadistic. I'm sorry. Like there's no other explanation then that is straight up sadistic. If you are a hundred percent sure there is no chance in which this is going to happen, you can't keep moving the goalpost and not really allowing someone to fully embark on their own life while you on the back end are trying to. And I don't believe that Courtney has that in her. So I think, and this is not just me wanting to believe this. I do think on some level, Courtney does think that there is a possibility and could see it, but I think you're probably right. Or I guess you were just hypothesizing, but I think the hypothesis that she maybe hasn't communicated that to Scott as clearly as she thinks she has is maybe the most accurate theory. You're right. I don't think that Courtney is quote sadistic enough to keep moving the goalposts with no intention of getting back together at all. I think if she is doing that, it's a more subconscious thing where she doesn't really realize like she's not actively dangling something in front of him knowing that she's just going to pull it away at any moment. I don't think that's what she's doing. But I do think she's entertaining the possibility because she does love him and and maybe that is still there. But I think she also knows for absolute certain that the way she feels about Scott is not the way that Scott feels about her. The way Scott feels about her is significantly stronger and more intense and more ready to commit. So even in some sense of that, if she's not doing it on purpose, if there's no malintent of her doing that, there is still that imbalance there that is to me a little bit unfair. It is unfair. And for both of them, right? Like I know we were talking about it before that inherently there's a level of you know, her having to walk him through things to meet her standards that I guess is unattractive to her, but also for him, you know, you want to feel like you are on a level of playing field with your partner. I think for most people want that. That's, that's not a crazy thing to desire. First of all, don't you think? No, I, I, I so agree. I do wonder also how much of this, or if any of this has to do with Courtney kind of recognizing that she's in a little bit of a hard spot because as much as everybody just wants her to be happy and look, look at the way that the family is celebrating her and Travis's relationship. So I don't think that they're at all, you know, doing anything bad, but it's kind of like if she really puts her foot down and says, we are never, ever getting back together. It's a little bit of a buzzkill kind of to the family, if you know what I mean, right? Like on some level, there's been this idea that's always just swirling around. And I think that Courtney recognizes that in a way she can kind of be the final quote killer of fun or like killer of dreams. And so maybe there's a layer there that she's being influenced by. I don't know. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's not the craziest thing. With some families it wouldn't be realistic, but in this one I think there's some level of accuracy. No, I I actually think that's a really excellent point. Thank you. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. 
So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. Okay, should we keep going with this scene? Yes. We haven't even gotten to their solo scene, just so you know that, right? I'm like nervous. Chris says, well, that's a lot to think about. Scott goes, I thought you just wanted me to be a responsible businessman that was there for you and the kids and a great person and a great father. Chloe says, it seems like he did all those things that he listed. Corey, who has kind of been the narrator here, is talking about Courtney and he says, it seems like she's really considering it. And they're cheering, marriage, marriage, marriage. And Scott goes, by the way, being a good person for her only makes my life happy, which I think he felt was an important point to mention because he didn't want this narrative to be circulating of like, Courtney is making him do all these things and she has no real reason to be doing it. Like, I think he was saying that almost in defense of her in a way. I think it was both in defense of her, but also in defense of himself where it's like, yes, I made all of these changes initially because I wanted to get Courtney back, but these are things I needed to do for myself as well. So no matter what, like I'm still this person who has grown and has done all of these things that only make me a better person. Like, but I also think that so much of their relationship was Courtney saying that he had to do these things and him reluctantly doing them, which created so many problems in their relationship because he felt like he was kind of being suffocated and doing all of these things just for the sake of making her happy. And I think he really wanted to emphasize the fact that now like that's not the case anymore. He's not just doing it to make her happier so that he'll be allowed to see the kids or so that he'll be trusted. It's improvements that he's making that yes, have a lot to do with her and the family, but only benefit him and personally him in the long run. Right. You're right. It was definitely a twofold statement, which is why it's so important for some of these scenes to go line by line because one little sentence like that is really loaded. Yeah. Oh my God. I forgot how long this scene was. I know. Tristan weighs in. It's also it's also because every single person is weighing in with like honestly pretty valuable insight. I know. The Tristan part I love here. Go. So Tristan weighs in and goes, I'll say this. This man's been putting in the work. He loves you. He'll jump off the cliff for you. Come on now. And Courtney says, are you just saying that so he can say that back for you? Amazing line by Courtney, by the way. And Tristan goes, no, trust me, trust me. He's been putting in work. And Kim kind of makes a joke here about what Courtney said and says to Tristan, it's like, yeah, you do it, I do it. And Tristan goes, no, he's been putting in more work than me. And Chloe goes, Tristan's like, I'll propose and he'll propose at the same time. And Chris is like, yeah, we can have a double wedding. (laughs) I've heard worse ideas. I've definitely heard worse ideas. Are you kidding? No, Courtney and Scott need their own fucking thing. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get that. So Scott says, is there anybody that thinks we shouldn't get married? I obviously was like, if anybody even thinks about objecting, I'm throwing hands. No. (laughs) (laughs) Chris says, Scott, she loves you. And everybody here is kind of just, you know, agreeing that they should be together. And Scott goes, I don't know what all the limbo was for. And in his confessional, he says, there was a time in which the whole family would tell Courtney, the last person you want to be with is Scott. Now the whole family wants us back together. It's like the most flattering, most beautiful thing I could hear in the world. And it's definitely tough that Courtney says almost nothing. That broke me. That was a really, really like special line. No, that really like I almost started crying from that. Because if you have been watching the show from the beginning, you can really recognize the truth in that statement. And we always say that for us, watching Scott's evolution is special. But imagine being him and feeling the acceptance and the approval and the serious change of hearts where now the family is rooting for you and trying to convince Courtney. I mean, that's 
That's pretty big. I know. And Courtney's saying nothing. Of course. She never fucking says anything. Ugh, my heart hurts. The thing is, like, I, I want to make this clear. Courtney's right. This was an ambush, right? She is absolutely right that she is allowed to have this conversation in private. And her unwillingness to speak shouldn't necessarily be interpreted as her being cold because maybe she just doesn't want to have this conversation in front of everyone. And that's fine. Like, I think that that is fair. It's just hard, of course, as a viewer, even if you know all of those things to be true and you genuinely are rooting for both of them, it's frustrating when you're watching one person pour their heart out and the other one not really reciprocating it. Even if you don't think she's in the wrong, it just isn't the most pleasant thing to watch. No, I agree. But I also think something that Courtney does that like bothers me is, I guess, the word to say in these situations is she doesn't need to reciprocate it. Like it doesn't, she doesn't need to say to Scott, I love you too. I want to be with you too. That's not what I need from Courtney. But if Scott is literally being so vulnerable that he is laying it all out, he's telling her that he loves her. Like there has to be something, there has to be some acknowledgement beyond just like a yeah and a nod, because I just think it creates this really uncomfortable environment. And I feel that for Scott so deeply where he is pouring everything out. He's putting everything else out there. And he can't even gauge whether or not what he's saying is okay to say. I know. And do you wonder if do you wonder if any of that comes from the fact that she feels like he should have had said this to her first before it was brought up in front of the group? Or do you think that regardless, this is how she would have reacted to it? Um I don't know. I think in this specific moment, you can see it on her face that like she really doesn't know what to say. Like she really felt ambushed. But there are a lot of times where they're having one-on-one conversations where she really doesn't give him anything either. It's just a lot of uh ahas and yeahs. So I'm not 100% sure. I know somebody inboxed us once where they were saying that they think that the way Courtney responds is a tool she learned in therapy where it's like just let the other person speak and you can validate it by like letting them know you hear them but without actually saying how you feel or giving them anything more than just like yeah like it's okay yeah I hear what you're saying but then that's the beginning and end of how I'm gonna treat this conversation right which by the way I'm sure that there is definitely truth to that I guess I guess it's really hard Honestly, like as much as we all try to watch this objectively, and I say this about every reality show, on a certain level, you put yourself in the situation. And I guess I just couldn't imagine being Scott and being so vulnerable, whether or not it was fair to do, and just not having somebody respond in a little bit more of like a like human way. <laughs> right. Right. I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't, I really don't mean to blame Courtney because I think a lot of people would view this and think that it wasn't fair what they were all doing. And I get that. I really understand. I guess I just feel like this isn't a new thing. I mean, we're years and years in here. There's been a lot of conversations that I bet Scott wishes weren't public. That's just not the nature of this family. At a certain level, you do have to remember the family dynamic and how that's at play. And so, yeah, maybe this wouldn't be okay for your average person, but this is how the family communicates all matters like this. Right. And the Courtney response thing is not just this scene specific. I actually think that she responds more here than we're used to. I just think it is every time that we see them have any sort of a conversation. And also not just the Scott thing. It's really with anybody. It's just that is how she responds. Right. I don't know. You know, people deal with things in a different way. I guess I just, it would really frustrate me, I think, if I was trying to have a conversation with her. But I guess that's just, you know, we all have our communication styles. Yeah, of course. So Scott gets up. I don't know if he was taking a call or 
production told him to leave, whatever it was. And Chloe says, you guys are stressing her out, by the way. I see her face. And Courtney goes, you know when something just gives you anxiety? And Tristan goes, he's anxiety. Chloe says, do you feel anxiety because of marriage? Because marriage is too serious for you? And she says, I don't know. Tristan goes, do you find him attractive? Courtney's like, he's handsome. He's smart. He's funny. He's a good dad to my kids. I think it's just a thought gives me anxiety. And we have good energy. Yeah. And Tristan goes, I think you have more anxiety because of whatever happened in the past. And Courtney says, yeah. And in Chloe and Kim's confessional, Kim says, I don't know. I think Courtney goes back and forth on how she feels. And I think she's the one that really needs to make some decisions. Chloe says, Courtney hasn't given us a definitive concrete yes or no. And back at the table, Chloe says to Courtney, who has been there for you and with you through the good and the bad and are still always loyal and supportive because the honeymoon phase in any relationship is fucking fire. But does that shit last? No. Of course, then this is when Kim talks about her six toes. But this is like really important because I have so many things swirling in my head. Let me try to organize my thoughts quickly. Okay. The first thing is when Chloe says that about Scott being there for Courtney through the thick and thin, it's absolutely true. However, the same can be said for Courtney. Courtney was there for Scott through the lowest moments of his life, both personally in terms of things that happened to him and then also in the way that he dealt with other situations. And so it really does go both ways. And I wish maybe Chloe would have said that so that Courtney didn't feel as like alone in that moment. And then the second thing is I couldn't help but think when she said the honeymoon phase thing, is that what we're in with Travis and Courtney? It almost like I felt that haunting itself throughout the Courtney and Travis PDA. I felt that way too. Right? Well, first of all, just to go back to your earlier point, I think Chloe could have said that, but I think that to switch it would have said like, and you've been there for him, which would have only reminded her of what they've gone through, which maybe reversing it wasn't like the best thing that she could have done. But I think there is that mutual understanding that like they've both been there for each other through everything. Going back to the honeymoon phase, yeah, I was like, there was a part of me in that moment that was like, is that all this is right now? Is that all that Travis and Courtney is? Well, you have to remember, this was filmed in September, right? September 2020. So that was about seven months ago. And we can definitively say, based on this episode, that her and Travis are not together. Maybe they were talking a little bit, but nothing to the point where anybody around them thought that it was anything serious because if anybody did, they would not be having this conversation out of respect for Travis. So by definition, this is the honeymoon phase. Right. Like as far as I'm concerned, this just gave me the clearest timeline that I needed unless Courtney was doing this Travis thing so, so, so in private to the point where this is one of the reasons for her being so uncomfortable in this scene. No, I don't think there's any way that's happening. Right. So then her and Travis are still in the honeymoon phase. Chloe's words are a little bit haunting. Right. My thing is, I agree that her and Travis are in the honeymoon phase. That's not what I'm questioning. What I'm questioning with her and Travis is, is that all it is? Right. Which we don't have the answer to yet. But her saying that was like, is this thing with Courtney and Travis so unbelievable to us as the viewer because they're in that honeymoon phase and we are seeing it to the fullest extent of a honeymoon phase you could ever see. Is that going to translate into the long term or is that all we're going to get? I don't know. And again, I bring myself back to the fact that 
The reason this honeymoon phase, in my opinion, is different than your average is because of the deeply rooted friendship and history. Right. I do agree with that. And the kids. Yeah, and the kids. I don't know, you guys. This is a this is a like this is a lot. This is seriously a lot. This dinner was not staged. This was real. Everything that was happening here was 100% real and also I felt that the entire family felt a sense of liberation that they could have a moment to talk about it. Yeah, I felt that way too. The Tristan element with this was like one of the funnier parts of the scene for me. Yeah, we didn't even really talk about that. That was so funny. But not only like the <laughs> not only the two of them being like no, we could both do it. Like we've both grown so much. Like we're both good now. Like we can get married together. Tristan then jumping into the conversation and being like, yeah, I just think it's about what went on in the past. It's like, you weren't here for the past. I know. <laughs> it's funny though, also how they're all at the point now where they can joke about it. Like even Chloe can make the joke about, you know, Tristan saying, yeah, we, we should propose together. Yeah, that was, I, I really enjoyed his, his presence in this scene. One really quick thing that is not at all important, but just to add a moment of levity to this rather intense scene. You know how we always talk about that our mind now works in TikTok sounds? Yeah. <laughs> you want to know what was going through my head when Chloe said that? Why? <laughs> it's like, if you do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> if you do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's funny. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like, Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. This is another yellow, yellow highlighted scene. This is like the yellow highlighted scene for me. This is the reason that the yellow highlight was invented. I agree. You're so right. Okay, you guys, this is the Scott and Courtney solo. (laughs) Julie writes in parentheses, Trevor's also there guarding the empty pool. (laughs) So Scott sits down with Courtney and he puts his cup down and you see he in that moment realizes that her eyes are directly on the cup. And he's like, no, 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 it's, this is not Diet Coke. It's iced tea. And she's like, I don't care. Live your life. And he goes, I know you're not pleased with my soda habits. That, that's like the dynamic we have. <laughs> <laughs> was that not such a funny like introduction to this entire scene though? It was It actually like summed up their relationship into one single moment. It was an interaction worth a thousand words in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott comes in heavy and says, I feel like it annoys me when you flirt with this lifeguard. And she goes, I'm definitely not flirting with a lifeguard. And he goes, all right, maybe it's just in my head. Seeing you around any guy bothers me. And she goes around another human that I'm not flirting with. And he says, maybe it's just something. I don't know. I feel like you're a little flirty. She goes, I'm not. I promise. 
Scott says, then it's just my insecurity that I feel like I just don't like seeing you with another guy or a guy. It hurt me when you were with somebody else and like waking up to looking at pictures of you with this guy you were dating and it was just unhealthy and it made me upset and sad. You know what I mean? She says, yeah. He goes, and now I wake up like with no real problems. I'm carefree in the sense. Like I don't have that, which used to take up a lot of space in my mind all day. But the big fear is if you start dating again, then it goes back to that and I have to feel a different way again and it's just hard. It sucks. And I guess now that like I'm single and you're single and you haven't been with somebody in a bit, either we figure out creating our own lives together or separately. Okay. Yeah. I have to say when he said this, I was really taken back that he went, not that I was surprised that he was admitting how hard it is to see her with somebody else, but the fact that he laid it out as intensely as he did and the fact that he was talking about how it used to take so much of his brain space where like clearly his relationship and her relationship very much overlap timeline. Like, you know, now for absolute certain that he was in a relationship with Sophia and most of his mental energy was still going to processing, seeing Courtney with somebody else. Right. And I know this isn't really the point of this conversation. We're going to get back to it, but when you talk about the Sophia and Scott breakup, and I know that we know it had to do in some ways with the Courtney element of it, this was not something that was previously mentioned. We were previously brought into the dedication and all of that. Not really this part of it, which is the fact that his mind was a little bit preoccupied with jealousy. Again, not that that's something that he voiced out loud to Sophia, but women are perceptive. Right. And- I think that him saying that gives so much context to what's going on right now, aka why he wasn't there at Easter. Maybe he just couldn't handle it. What we were saying that like that video that Travis posted for her birthday of her sucking his thumb, like there is no way that enough has changed within the course of a year that he is now mentally able to handle that. I have never felt more confident in our Easter conversation than watching the scene because that is not even slightly a bit of a improbable hypothesis. And actually, I will go as far as to say on both ends. One, on Scott's end, because maybe he just didn't want to subject himself to that, but also on Courtney's end, knowing what she knows, meaning knowing that Scott is so sensitive to this, why would she want to then take away from her experience wanting to be however she wants to be in front of the family with Travis if she knows in the back of her mind she's going to be inflicting misery on Scott? That means also for her is unfair then. Exactly. This is so loaded. Like, this is about to be a 15 minute conversation that we're going to have. I know. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. 
Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Scott is now in his confessional and he says, It's definitely difficult that Courtney and I basically spend 90% of our lives together, travel together, do everything together, see each other every day. And the only difference is at the end of the night, we part ways and go and sleep in separate houses. And this whole limbo state isn't that cool anymore. And I surely don't want us to wake up and be 50 years old and doing the same thing. Okay. Courtney then responds to him in the real conversation and says, well, that's a lot of pressure. Can I get back to you? And you can see she's, I think, visibly uncomfortable. Number one, that they're even having this conversation. And then not that they're having it on camera necessarily, but the fact that she knows her reaction is then going to be analyzed. Right, exactly. And Scott says back to her, I'm okay with you, I guess, doing whatever you want. If you can just make the final decision that you and I are never going to try to be a family again, then I can move on and I can deal with you being with other people. And I don't want to give you an ultimatum and I don't want to push you and I don't want to make you anxious, but you don't say no and you leave the door open. So I have expectations in my mind and they don't seem to ever get met. And I don't want to live in limbo for the rest of my life with you. That was like a big statement. That was a huge statement, Julie. Like him putting it on her to make that final decision is a lot also. Also, I like I quickly want to just mention this here before we continue. The other thing is I know that we don't fully know what goes on here, meaning we don't know exactly where Courtney's mind is at because I'm sure there are conversations we're not privy to. However, when Scott and every other member of the family also feels like she has left him in limbo, at a certain point you have to wonder, is it her? Like he may he probably is not being delusional at this point. No, I don't think he's delusional at all. And I think that, like, as they're continuing to speak, she says, like, I don't want to be in limbo anymore either. Like, she, on some level, is maybe considering this limbo, maybe not as much as he is, where, like, he is saying we are in this in-between phase where, like, eventually we are going to get back together. And for her, she's still, like, thinking about it, considering it, weighing her options. Like, but for him to say this has to be on you to say yes or no, because to me it's yes. And I can't move on until you give me that definitive is so telling about the state of what they're in. Yes. And I think that the core difference here is two things. The first is in order for Scott to kind of like progress with his life, he needs that from her. And the reverse is not true. Courtney doesn't need that from Scott. She doesn't need him to say this will never happen clearly. But also I think On a level that Courtney is probably not confronting yet, she does derive a lot of comfort from leaving that level of possibility. And that is why when she's at the table and they're asking her what about it makes her anxious, I think really one of the huge levels is that in her ideal world, she would have the best of both worlds for forever. And the idea that this could be coming to an end and she may not be able to benefit from both things, meaning having Scott always there, kind of just floating, and then also pursuing her own thing is not a possibility that she may be able to continually have. I think that's what makes her anxious. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that's that entire idea of change where it's like, Maybe it's not the best scenario for either of them, but at least it's comfortable and at least it's what they know. And there's nothing, if they're able to stay in this state of limbo, 
then at least she knows exactly every single day what she's waking up and what she can expect out of the day. Yes. And I very much understand why that is a level of comfort for her. However, it's like she needs to acknowledge that that same luxury that she has, he doesn't have. He's just not capable of it right now. And so like, it's just such an unfair, it's just such an not leveled playing field. No, it's not at all. And I really don't believe that Courtney is trying to do this to continue to upset Scott. I think she genuinely is unsure what she wants. But I think the difference is that her uncertainty and her solution to the uncertainty isn't to try and arrive at something or try and make a definitive answer. It's to stay in exactly the state they're in. Whereas Scott's unhappiness can be solved and he knows exactly how to solve it. And he and he's just waiting on the ability to get there because he's waiting on her. Right. And the thing is, I think that Courtney doesn't want to say to him, this will never happen because she's okay with perusing other opportunities. He's just like not okay with that in the meantime. Right. Exactly. It's, it's a hard spot to be in. I really can see it from both sides. Right. And I sympathize with both sides. I understand if Courtney doesn't want to be with Scott, she should not have to be with Scott just because the entire family wants together and Scott wants together. This is a decision that she has to make on her own for herself for what's best with her. I just think that this exploration phase and the limbo phase and what they're going through right now just isn't working for anybody. Yeah, more so for him. And honestly, she probably would not have been the one to bring it up. Right. It's not like Scott's pressuring her to give an answer about getting back together. It's not like he's saying, we have to get back together. Like you have to give me an answer. He's saying, I just need you to either say yes or let me go because I I can't handle this in between anymore, which is to me so fair. Well, he's saying, say no and let me go. He basically wants her to say, we will never be a family together again. I also understand from her side, how am I supposed to say never? And also from her perspective, like, yeah. From her perspective, it's like, you shouldn't need that in order to live your life. And he's like, okay, but I'm telling you that I do. And fairly enough, like, I think he should need that because I think that that possibility of them getting back together, even if it is so slight that like, it's a 1% chance or less than 1% chance, that is literally what he is grasping onto. For her, the idea of getting back together with Scott is less about being in love with Scott and more about like, okay, could we get back to what we had? Could we get back to this family that we are together? Can I make everybody happy by this happening? Where Scott is like, I'm in love with you and I want you and the byproduct of that is that our family. So I think automatically they're on different pages. Right. And also, you know, Courtney out of all of them is probably the one that is the most dreamer and the most romantic and really craves that like love story and to be whisked away. And you know, her whole thing is Disney, which I know is kind of seems more service level, but I think in a lot of ways it's a metaphor for something that she craves. And so of course they're not aligned because it is the fairy tale for him. And for her, it's not really the fairy tale. In a lot of ways, it's run by logistics. Right. Exactly. It's so hard. Like I, I really can see all sides of this here. I really, really can. No, me too. I so agree. So in her confessional or before her confessional, actually, he says to her, I feel like you're lonely and I don't want you to be. And she says, I'm not lonely. And he's like, okay. And then in her confessional, she says, I know this isn't what Scott wants to hear. And I do appreciate his vulnerability, like really putting himself out there. But he always tries to put a lot of pressure on me. And I just don't really think that's fair. Right. Like it's not fair to anybody here. Oh, 
I'm like, I'm, I'm literally emotionally distressed again while we're going through this. I know. So Scott says to her, okay, you're not lonely. You're perfectly fine. Everything's great. You're perfect. And she's like, I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm happy right now. And he goes, well, I'm not. And she's like, all right. So in my mind, we're always going to be a family. We're always, and he kind of cuts her off and says, I just want a little bit more. At the end of the night, after we take care of our children, to go to sleep in two different rooms, two feet apart, seems stupid to me. If two people could work things out. It seems like we do everything else together, but the intimacy part that we leave for other people. And then those other people are just jealous of our relationship and they feel like the only thing they have is the intimacy part, not like the friendship and everything else and sharing children and a life. I love you. So it's difficult. Holy shit. I know. I mean, for him to break it down that scientifically and really separate the intimacy out from everything else and then bring in their partner's perceptions of how the intimacy is the one element that they have and the others don't. I mean, that was a huge moment. Like, I think we all need to take a moment before you and I even dissect it and realize how big of a statement that was. No, that was really like, that was like a monumental statement. Right? Wow. Yeah. I don't even know what to say anymore because I feel like we're at the point with this conversation where I have so much to say and I've so many things to analyze and dissect, but it's also at the end of the day, it's just going in circles. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, that's exactly how I feel. I just think that when I was watching Scott, it was as if he finally said, no, I'm not going to stop talking. And he just let it out. And you could see this has really been building up and building up. And a lot of the stuff he couldn't voice when he was in a relationship, a lot of the stuff after the relationship, he was holding on to. And now he finally, I think being a little bit motivated by Kim and Chloe, just said it. And you see Courtney is a little bit shell-shocked, not in a bad way, but that level of deep, deep vulnerability and admittance, I don't think is something she was necessarily anticipating happening. And neither was I. No, I don't think so either. And I also think that's why it's so hard to view Scott now, knowing the relationship that Courtney is in with Travis, because I think it is really upsetting to see somebody be so vulnerable and put everything out there to such an extent that you've really never seen before. And then not only not have that reciprocated, but like have that like completely destroyed almost. I mean, when he was saying this, I really kind of like froze because the reason the Travis one is different is because exactly what Scott is talking about here, it actually goes a little bit farther. It's not just the intimacy there. They do have the friendship and they've had the friendship, which is why if I'm Scott and I had just poured my heart out and I had just explained exactly what it's like as a significant other, meaning one of their significant others, and then I see this relationship that holy shit, it has this really intense, passionate intimacy and also the relationship and the friendship with the kids, I think I would be spiraling, which is why I understand why he dyes his hair pink and goes to Miami and shaves a mohawk. Yeah, that's exactly my thought, yes. Like, you guys realize that Travis is the embodiment of Scott's worst nightmare, not as a person, but as what that means to Courtney. Like, this is not Eunice. I don't care if she could be dating the hottest fucking guy ever. If this is a whole other world. I really so deeply feel for Scott. Like, listen, I am happy for Courtney because I think that it is important for Courtney to have her own relationships. And if she really doesn't want to be back together with Scott, then she should not be held back just because it's what he wants. A hundred percent. Scott put her through a lot and she deserves to be able to find happiness outside of that if that is what she wants. 
at the same time to have to envision what Scott is currently going through, heartbreaking. Yes. And I recognize that maybe an idea and a thought process that could come up is like, you know, women oftentimes put their emotions on hold for the emotional security of the guy, things like that. I am so a proponent of women doing whatever they need to do. Like Courtney should not be not dating Travis because she knows it's going to hurt Scott. That's ridiculous. They've been broken up. They're grown adults and she should follow her happiness. So don't think that I am feeling like, you know, protective of Scott in the way that I think Courtney is doing something wrong. Courtney is not the villain in the situation. She's living her life and doing what she needs to do for herself. And that's beautiful. That's all I could want for any person, specifically any woman. That being said, to also not feel bad for what Scott is feeling because of that to me is ridiculous. Like you are allowed to have empathy and compassion for a person that's clearly hurting regardless of the gender, regardless of what's going on here. You know what I mean? Cause I saw that dialogue happening a little bit and like the two things can happen at the same time. You can feel really proud of Courtney that she's living her truth and not putting off her happiness in a way to make sure that Scott's okay. Like she's been making sure Scott's okay for a long time now. At the same time, you can fucking feel for Scott because you're a human being and you watch someone else hurting. Absolutely. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. Let me ask you another question. Yeah. How does Scott's current relationship I, I know that's funny, like whatever, but how does that withstand this episode coming out? <laughs> like, I guess honestly, my answer to that question is that I have to imagine and call me crazy. I have to imagine on some level, Amelia recognizes that this is not the end all be all and that this isn't necessarily new information for her. I would hope so. I have to on some level, hope that that's the case because I really think, I know she's posted my dream man, this and that, and I know she's wrapped up in all of this and we are very much opposed to the age difference and the power dynamic and all this stuff at play. Like I know we have spoken about that at length, but I do think that Amelia understands on some level, specifically knowing since it has been public knowledge why him and Sophia broke up, that There's not even a competition in terms of his feeling towards her and his feeling towards Courtney. I can't imagine that she's that delusional. I just don't think so. Right. It seems like a very uncomfortable position to be in regardless of how – regardless of how logically you're able to look at a situation like this and understand, okay, I understand how he felt in the past. I understand how he probably still feels. I don't have expectations that high, et cetera, et cetera. Like I think that no matter who you are and no matter how – much you're able to ground yourself in a relationship, there's no way that this episode coming out at the same time that you are currently in a relationship is going to be easy. Well, honestly, if I were, and I can't say if I were Amelia, I take that back. I guess let me just hypothesize here. I think maybe what's going on for her is that this isn't a serious enough or a deep enough relationship where she's actually impacted by that more so she's embarrassed, right? Like it's one thing for everybody to be thinking it like, oh, this is a rebound, this, that, but for it to be on such a public scale, I think maybe the potential embarrassment, not that she should feel embarrassed, but I could see that happening, right? Like it's almost him confirming what everybody has been thinking in a way. I could see that fucking with her a little bit more because she's just a human being. And of course it does. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a lot. I don't envy the position that she's in at all. No. I mean, (laughs) kind of (laughs) no. No, but you don't. And in the scheme of things, nothing was worth that. No, I don't think so. So in Courtney's confessional, this is a really important part here because this is what we were talking about earlier. She says, and I quote, 
This is the first time I've really been single in a long time, so I don't know. I think it's a lot to take in, and I really wasn't here to make any decisions, but Scott and I have had a lot of conversations over the years about this, and he knows what would need to happen in order for this to even be a possibility. And certain things haven't happened, and I've been very clear about. Just like, my answer isn't going to change unless his actions change, so I'm hesitant to have that conversation right now. Again, what are those things? What are those things? And does he know them? That's How what is we- it possible that she's saying, I've been so clear about it, and he's saying, what do I need to do? Right. Like, is it something that she's just not willing to say out loud on camera, or is this another example of Courtney's communication style being not nearly as crystal clear as she views it to be? Or also, is this her making an excuse that is actually not accurate or is Scott not telling us something? like, I, I really don't know. But of course, if you're trying to view this, like as a detective and there's one person throughout this entire episode, that's been very vulnerable. I feel at this point, he would maybe try to say those things, whatever it is, it, even to the table or even just to Kim and Chloe. Right. That's how I felt as well. Or do you think that him and Courtney have an understanding where she wants that to be private? I don't know. I don't know because for me, it's not a situation where she's saying, I gave him these specific things and he's saying, I know I'm working on them or like, I know what you said. He is saying, what else do I have to do? I do not understand. So I don't understand the disconnect between him not understanding on any level what he still needs to do and her saying, I've been so clear about it. Honestly, if somebody, and I'm sure this will happen, people will DM us like their theories. I could be convinced because I don't know yet. And I think it's okay not to know. I mean, we'll have to see how this plays out, but I'm not exactly sure which one it is because I think I'm leaning towards Scott genuinely doesn't know or just to play the other side, maybe he doesn't want to hear it. Always possible. I don't know. I guess we don't know enough to have that answer. There's a lot of missing pieces. A lot of missing pieces. Yeah. So Courtney then says to him, I just got out of a relationship. And she he goes, did you? I feel like it's been like six months, eight months. She goes, it's been about three and a half months. Keep in mind that they dated her and Eunice from May 2017 to August 2018. And apparently they had gotten back together in September 2019. So the timeline is a little bit off. I just can't imagine that they're talking about anybody other than him, right? The timeline was so weird here because I remember there was the reports that her and Eunice had gotten back together in like September 2019 or whatever. He was at the Christmas party. That's December 2019. And then I feel like we did not hear a single thing after that. So then we're sitting here now in September 2020 and she's saying they only broke up three months ago. Yeah, I guess also does that depend on when you, you meaning Courtney, mark down when the actual start date was? You know, some people are different about that. Like, oh, we were just talking. We weren't actually back together. Maybe they weren't actually back together until... December and they were dating from December to March and then it would make sense that it was three months. I don't know. Well, the start date has nothing to do with the end date. I guess I'm saying that like, would it even be worth quantifying if it was such a short amount of time is what I'm saying? Um, Like had they gotten back together in September and ended in December night 2019 and it was only a two months get back together and therefore yeah. she wouldn't have considered a relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably not unless she's just using it to make her case and it's not really about the actual relationship. But the timeline that she's laying out is just confusing regardless. Right. And again, unless it's not Eunice and there's someone else, I have no idea. Wouldn't that be wild? That would be fucking wild. Imagine Trevor lookalike is somebody completely different, which by the way, Trevor and Eunice look nothing alike. 
nothing. Maybe there's somebody else. And just to fully read what you were saying, when Scott's response to Courtney, he says, and I'm not like some random guy. You didn't live together. You didn't wake up every day together. He lived in another country. And Courtney responds, everyone has different relationships. And he says, oh, 100%. And then in Scott's confessional, he says, I feel like for so many years and so long, I always thought that we would end up together. And now it's getting to a point where I'm not really sure if that's ever going to happen again. And he then says to her, I guess you just have different things that you want to do with your life. And she goes, that's not different things I want to do with my life. It's just, and he kind of cuts her off and says, but you don't have to make up your mind now. Just wait a couple more years. And she goes, I'll get back to you. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure. Wow. When he says, I don't know if that's a possibility anymore. Chills. I'm like, it's so hard because I know a lot of people have so many mixed opinions on Scott and mixed opinions on that relationship. And I know people will inbox us and say like, I don't know why you're harping on this. Scott's putting pressure on her. She was over it. She's so happy now. Like you have to move on. And I understand all of those things. And I, again, will say that I think this conversation would be so, so different if she wasn't leaving that possibility on the table too. It's not like she's saying, Scott, enough. We're not getting back together. Or Scott, like, please stop pressuring me because this isn't what I want. She is leaving that door cracked open just enough to give not just him a little bit of hope, but also us a little bit of hope. So to view her current relationship with that lens just makes it a little bit more difficult and makes me feel for Scott a little bit more. Yeah. It's not as cut and dry as I think people want to make it out to be. Because if you, not that there are sides here, I don't really like the idea of sides. Because the side should be you just want everybody to feel happy and validated and fulfilled. But like, if you really want to take Courtney's side, your primary defense is like, she's made it clear to him a million times. Well, we find out here she hasn't. And even she will admit she hasn't. She's never said to him, it's not happening. Right. Like, now that's what I'm going to do is call Scott and just be like, how you doing? I'm telling you, like, seriously, and I'm not trying to be dramatic here, I think that that birthday Instagram from Travis and their content in general, but specifically that post, since it was so fine and it was so discussed, it was on every headline. I mean, I don't think he could go on Instagram without seeing it, even if he didn't follow Travis. Probably was one of the most, people are going to think this is dramatic. I don't. One of the most like mentally challenging things he's had to deal with in their relationship. Oh, I don't think that's dramatic. I think that's 100% correct. And I have to say, I think what probably hurts even more, like on top of that, just to like throw salt in the wound for him, is then every family member and every friend commenting how much they love it. Right. And everybody being so supportive, which again, not that Scott wouldn't want that, but the kids then, you know, it's a lot. Right. It's it's just after him making such a point to say how amazing it feels for the family to be rooting for them to get back together and how he has worked so hard for the family to see him in that way and how good that feels and how happy that makes him. For him to then see them, you know, throwing their support the other way now, not that it takes away from how they feel about Scott. I just imagine if I'm Scott, it's like that just makes it hurt more. Keep in mind, though, we don't know what conversation happened after this. Like, maybe once he laid it all out there and Courtney knew she literally had to say to him, this is not going to happen, or at least this is not something at all in the forefront of my mind, not something I'm considering, 
you know, maybe that changed things. Like since then they could have had that conversation. Maybe that was one of the things that allowed her, made her feel like she could really embark on this relationship with Travis more. I don't know. Do you think that the way the Travis thing went down was that there was the conversation beforehand where she gave him that definitive no and that time, and like, therefore he had time to process it before she got together with Travis? Or do you think that that definitive no conversation never took place and she just had to break the news that she was dating Travis or talking to Travis? Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to pray it's the former option. Yeah, me too. You want to take a break and go to Kim's house? I'd love to take a break and go to Kim's house. (laughs) So this is when Paris comes over. They're doing the velour photo shoot. And it's just funny because when Paris walks in, Kim says like, oh, I texted you. And Paris like, yeah, I have like five phones. I don't know. Just if you watched Paris's documentary, it makes it so much clearer how that went down because the best way that I can describe her is like organized chaos. Yeah, there is no part of me that was surprised to hear Paris say she has five phones. I feel like her and Kim are so polar opposite in those ways. Like Kim would never be okay with her home being as like chaotic for her own mental sanity as the way that Paris is closet. Of course, they're both beautiful and um, extravagant, but I guess we all have ways that we operate. And like Paris is maybe a mess, but she knows where everything is. Whereas Kim needs like that complete minimalism, which maybe was influenced by Kanye in order to feel like sanity at home. I am a mess, but I know where everything is. And they're just kind of, you know, reminiscing on the past. And Kim's talking about how she would do anything for a magazine cover. And them doing the shoot, which I didn't realize was shot at Kim's house, but it does make so much sense because it's that recreation of Kim's iconic photo on top of the Range Rover and just them with their razor phones. And I guess I just love seeing anytime they interact together. Yeah, especially this photo shoot because it was so unbelievably nostalgic. And to see, Also, the progression of maybe I'll do it on TikTok to know this is what I'm going to do. This is true to who I am is so funny because obviously when you saw the Paris campaign, it's not like you were getting that background. At all. Right. So last scene, we are at Chloe's house and she's on FaceTime with Shorty. Kim and Courtney are there too. And Shorty's kind of just thanking her. I guess they kind of helped him with that apartment that he wanted. And you can see he's really just overwhelmed with gratitude. And I think he's having this moment of realizing kind of like what that one interaction back in 2008 really meant. And, you know, Chloe said it right. Back in the day, he didn't want to get off the streets. He made it very clear that that's where he felt the most comfortable. And so now you can't help somebody who doesn't want help. And so at this point, I think he was open to the help and I think they were more than happy to give it to him. And it was beautiful. And listen, as expected, like I think it would have, been not well received if Shorty is a plot line of the show and they're not helping him with his housing. I fully expected them to do it as what they should have done. And I'm so glad that they did. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say like for first season to last season to be bookmarked or bookended by Shorty was just perfect. Yeah. And I didn't feel like it was, this is my interpretation. I didn't feel like they were using him because I felt he was overjoyed to be involved in the entire experience. Yeah, that's how I felt too. And I also felt like it was genuine that Chloe wanted to find him again. Yeah. And I mean, look how it ended for him. They got him, you know, it's his own place, which is so like how, and they're so proud of him because he was saving up his own money. Yeah. It was a beautiful, it was really a beautiful moment. 
so much happened here. I feel like we just relived 18 episodes in one. That this was a crazy episode. It really was. This was like truly an emotional roller coaster of an episode. Yeah, it it was. I hope you guys are coping. I, I don't know. I'm sure people are gonna have a million different thoughts and theories and whatever you feel, obviously let us know because we record this right after we watch it. So these are just our initial thoughts. Obviously, we don't know what the rest of the public is thinking yet because it hasn't even come out. I can't wait to see the discourse that's going to take place after this episode. I'm afraid. <laughs> I am a little bit too, but I'm very excited. You too. Oh, God, guys. Well, hopefully there'll be more where that came from. We'll get more Courtney and Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thank you keeping up for this wonderful insight and anything else you would like to add. I think that's it. Okay. Isabel and I will see you on Friday for Bravo and Julie and I will see you on Monday. Wait. Oh my God. Also, I totally forgot to say this. You guys, we were nominated or comments by celebs, not the podcast. The Instagram was nominated for two Webby awards um, in two different categories with like ridiculous people. It's like in one of the categories we're up against like Colbert show, daily show, ridiculous things. So we'll put the links to vote. I think you can vote just one time, but we actually won last year. It would be insane if we could win again. So we'll put both the links in the description. If you wanted to take a moment to do that, it would be amazing. You can like log in directly with Twitter or Facebook. Um, I know it's like kind of a bitch to ask, but we would literally do anything. So thank you. And we love you guys. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.